Are you a kid or a grown-up? A kid. You're positive? How do you know you're a kid? Because I'm five years old. How old do you have to be to be a grown-up? 20, 13, 32. And what if a grown-up decided to have fun? What would they do to have fun? Well, mom and dad sometimes play games at nighttime. How old do you think this person is? 28, 16, 48, maybe 40, 53. 53? I could see that. What kind of stuff do grown-ups do to play? Clean. What are you looking forward to doing the most when you're for me? Go to work. Help people. That's pretty good. <laughs> 53? Come on. How, do, how old does that make you then? 16. Yeah, obviously I robbed the, I robbed the cradle. Uh, my wife Jen is with me. We're giving this message together as we do from time to time. I hope that's all right. Uh, we are in a series called, yeah, for a couple of you, you're, it's more than all right. Okay. She's older than me. Um, no, that's not true. Uh, that's not true. Uh, we're in a series called Grow Up. Grow Up, and uh, we are, are talking about what it means to grow up. Why would we be talking about growing up during this season at Hosanna? Well, it's a good season. Um, it's always a good season to talk about it because we all have room to grow. We all have room to grow in our lives. And, and God wants us to grow. We say this from time to time at Hosanna that, that he loves you right where you are. Hear that. Feel that. And he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to become everything that he created you to be. So the series grow up. And in this series, we've been following the story of David, King David, king of Israel. He lived 3,000 years ago. And, and David is a good example of what it looks like to grow up. Does that mean he was perfect? Far from it. And in fact, this is what makes him a good example of what it means to grow up. David, we read in scripture, was a man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. That, that what it means to grow up starts with and is all about being a person after, after God's heart. So in this series, we're, we're following the story of David, a man after God's heart, looking at different parts of his story and, and taking uh, insights and takeaways about what it means to grow up. Last week, our founding pastor, Pastor Bill Boleyn, was here. Wasn't it good to have him here? I, I, I was uh, feeling good with him here, and I know he's helped a lot of us grow up. He certainly helped me grow up in, in many, many ways. The first three weeks of this series... We've talked about what it means for us to grow up, grow up ourselves. This week, we're going to talk about others, how we help others grow up. Now, note, this is intentionally the last week of the series, okay? It is far too tempting for us when we, when we hear a series called Grow Up to immediately start thinking about how others need to grow up, not ourselves, right? We got to start with ourselves. In fact, the best thing we can do to help others grow up is to do so ourselves. If we want to help others grow up, then the, the best thing we can do is grow ourselves so that, that people are inspired by our example and can follow the, the example that we, that we make, model what it means to grow up for them. That's why as a staff right now, a whole staff, we are going through a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Because as a staff, we are uh, trying to help you all grow as a congregation. But it has to start with us as a staff, as leaders, to be growing ourselves that's the best thing, most important thing we can do to help others grow. That said, at some point, we all, we all find ourselves in a position to help others grow. 
we all find ourselves in a position to, to maybe help and encourage others along the way in their, in their growth journey. And so today, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it looks like to help others grow, specifically what it looks like to help boys become men, and what it looks like to help men who are still acting like boys to become men, all right? So all of us here at Lakeville Shockby Online, we're getting on board with this idea, and here's the title. Ready for this? Boys to Men. Boys to Men. Which makes some of you, if you grew up during the 90s, like, like I did or came of age during the 90s, it reminds you of a band called Boys to Men. They look kind of like this. In fact, they look just like that. And you might even think and, 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 and hear this song in your head. Oh, it's playing right now, End of the Road. How many of you, you're going back to your high school prom, a dance? How many of you have good memories right now just flooding back to you? How many, how many of you have really bad memories? How many of you have never heard this song before in your life? And so you have no memories, you're welcome. I just introduced you to Boys to Men. There you go. Fair enough. Yes, this song definitely <laughs> dates us. 20 years ago, I had that song on my mixtape. Come on, somebody. Playing on my Walkman. You know. You know I did. Good morning, church. I'm so glad. I'm just delighted to be with you this weekend. I've been looking forward to this weekend for a long time. We have a really important topic that we're going to be chewing on together as a church. I'm really glad you're here for it. I'm really honored that I get to be here for it. It's going to be a great morning together. We are talking about growing up. You know, I have loved this series, and it's been challenging for me. I'll tell you, I, I have felt like the Lord has stirred some things in me, ways that I do need to grow up. And I had a couple weeks ago this thought drop for me that I really hate getting older, but I love growing up. Anybody else relate to that? Getting older is quite miserable, I will just say. You know, getting older is worse on the body. Our bodies get worse over time. I mean, I cannot eat as much cake and ice cream as I used to be able to and cookies to be able to still fit in my pants. You know, that's happening to me now. And the gray hairs are beginning to enter, not so much in my hair, but in my eyebrows. Is that where it starts, ladies? Is that where it starts? So I'm thankful I can, I can still yank them out. You know, getting older is rough on the body, but, but growing up, is good for the soul. The soul gets better over time. And I'm just really thankful for the ways that God's grace has broken through in my life and has, has expanded my love for him and my love for other people, has just deepened my well of wisdom, I hope. And I hope I'm getting better over time, at least in my soul. And I hope that for you and that that's been happening for you in this series. Like Ryan said, though, today... We're turning a corner, and instead of asking the question, how do I need to grow up, we're asking the question, more pointedly, how can I help others grow up? And really, we believe and have seen that there is something in this, in this topic for everybody. Uh, but we also want to be kind of unapologetic about the fact that today we are really zeroing in on a very specific question, and that is, how can we help boys grow from boys to men? You know, we've been in this series on David, and, and today we're going to hear about his son, Solomon. And so it's a, it's a Bible story that's focused on manhood and boyhood. And so that is one of the primary reasons that we are asking that question. And I would love for everyone in the room in this moment, as we begin this message, to just to take a moment to picture a boy uh, that you have influence over, or a young man. It can be a young man. Picture that boy, that young man, in, in the eye of your heart, really. Who is that young man that you might be thinking about today? You know, your, your parents, you are grandparents and aunts and uncles. You are teachers and coaches. You are um, in positions at work where you oversee younger men who might need a dose of growing up. And so have them in mind as we go through this message this morning. 
It's very easy for Ryan and I to have three boys, particular boys in mind as we talk about this subject. Here's a picture of our sons. We are raising three boys. This is Cy on the left. He is 10. Pax, who is six. And then darling Zachary, who is two and a half. And so we show you this picture not to show you how cute they are, but just what we're up against in life right now, you know? It's busy and it's loud at our house. And you can see in this picture that we are not experts at raising boys from boyhood into adulthood because we have yet to face a teenager at our house. So we stand humble before you that we have much to learn. We do have much to learn. We have, um, however, been very, very committed as parents to, as I know many of you have been, we, we see those three boys really as our primary flock Um, Ryan and I, you know, we get the privilege of of overseeing also this flock of this church, but that's our primary flock because if we can't do that right, we can't do this right. And so we do a lot of reading about parenting and specifically parenting boys. And we just wanted to point you, if you are a parent or somebody who cares about a boy, there's a, tr- there's a tremendous resource in your program that we listed. It's our favorite book so far on raising boys, ages birth through 25. It's called Wild Things. Isn't that an appropriate name? Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys. So we would highly recommend that book to you. The other thing that Ryan and I have done is we have really surrounded ourselves with a community who is also thinking about raising boys. We actually started a small group uh, last summer here at Hosanna. It began as a small group and has turned into a giant group of 30 or 40 families who are all raising exclusively boys. And we have kind of a tagline for this group, sort of our vision or our mission statement is simply this. We are a community of families raising exclusively boys, working together to raise godly men. That's what we're about. We're working together to raise godly men. And this morning, we just want to open that small group and turn it into a giant group of people who are thinking about this. How can we work together to raise godly men? I'm still just amazed that we found a picture where all the boys were smiling at the same time. It's always like that, right? (laughs) Not quite. So there are a lot of good sources out there for raising Kids and specifically raising boys, but the best source of all, the main source uh, for all of us and anything is the Word of God. Amen? And so we're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and at Hosanna, we are, we are renewing our commitment to being grounded in God's Word. Good things happen when we get into God's Word in our lives and as a church. So bring your Bibles to worship on the weekends if you have one. If you don't have one, please take one on the way out. One of the carts on the way out, uh, it's yours to keep. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 3. It's on page 201 in the Red Bible, if that's what you have. Uh, If you don't have a Red Bible, you're on your own, but you'll find it. And a little background here, uh, we are continuing the story of David, but David has stopped growing. You know why? He's dead, right? That's, by the way, the only time that we should stop growing. You've heard me say this before, if you're not growing, you are dying. And so we want to be growing throughout our lives. David has gone on, as scripture says, to be with his forefathers, to be buried literally with his forefathers. We saw tombs like this in the Holy Lands where family members are buried together. But now his growth legacy lives on through his son Solomon. Solomon is the son of David and Bathsheba. If you remember the story from a couple weeks ago, it is just an example of God's grace that Solomon uh, becomes the next king of Israel, the successor to the throne uh, after David. Have you ever been in a situation where you are, are given a huge responsibility, maybe one that you've been waiting for for a while, and then you finally receive that responsibility, and then you are going, now what? I was there seven months ago. I'll let you figure that out. But here's what Solomon does in that situation. Huge responsibility. 
Verse five, that night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream and God said, what do you want? Ask and it will be given to you. So get this, God's saying, I'll give you whatever you want. What is the one thing? What would you ask for? (laughs) Solomon replied, you showed faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued your faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Underline that phrase. We'll come back to it. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Apparently Solomon responded correctly. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So Solomon is is given this opportunity to ask God for anything and what he asked for is an understanding heart for wisdom. We'll come back to that a little bit. But I want to hone in on this verse because it captures what, what we're talking about today. Verse 7, I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Now Solomon was, was a man. He was a young man at this point. But, but it's important to recognize that because what he says as a man is, I am like a little child or, or I'm like a boy who doesn't know his way around. This was written about a person, said by a person who lived 3,000 years ago. And I think it can be said about many, many, many men today. Men are, are walking around trying to figure it out, trying to understand what it means to be a man. Like, like little children Or maybe a way to think about it is we have lots of boys who are walking around in men's bodies. This is a picture I think that will will help us with this, a picture of a creature that maybe you have seen before, probably not. Do you know this creature, axolotl? It's axolotl. The axolotl is a Mexican salamander, all right? And what's unique about the axolotl is that it never grows out of tadpole status, Right, it maintains tadpole status throughout its life, which means it's like the Peter Pan of salamanders. <laughs> never grows up. It never grows up. Now, it's kind of a cute creature, don't you think? Kind of. But it's not so cute when it's 45 years old playing Halo in his parents' basement, right? Or it's not so cute when it's you know, still trying to get you know, a handle on, on anger. Or not so cute when, when still objectifying women as an adult, or it's definitely not so cute when, when it's showing more emotion about its team not making it to the Super Bowl for the third straight year than, than about other things that are more important. It's not cute at all, all right? That's me, by the way. It's not cute. It's not cute to be a man walking around still trying to figure out what it means to be a man. A man boy, if you will. Now, I want to be candid with you for a moment because... Uh, because this has been a journey for me. It's been a journey for me to um, figure out what it means to be a man. Obviously, I've figured it all out, right? But it's, uh, no, I haven't. I haven't. It's a process. There's so, and there are so many challenges that, that men are facing as boys are trying to become men. Challenges, and it's confusing at times. There are mixed messages all over the place. I was talking to someone recently who very sincerely said, I'm not even sure what it means to be a man. This question, what does it mean to be a man? Even David, who's the the example of this series, grow up, 
He doesn't fit into a box or, or into a stereotype. You know, on one, one hand, he's, he's writing poetry. On another hand, he's killing bears you know, with his bare hands. What does it mean to be a man? And, and we, we can find ourselves as men, I'll just say it, walking around trying to figure that one out. But here's the good news. The good news is we can grow. We can discover. what it, We don't have to stay a tadpole our whole lives. But it starts with naming the problem. Naming the problem, like Solomon, where he says, honestly, it's part of what it means to be a man, is to be honest about your condition. Say, I'm not always sure what it means. And secondly, and I know men, we we wrestle with this one, we don't want to stop and ask for directions, but secondly, to ask for help. And and going to God and God's word is the best place to go. So we we can learn how to become men, boys to men. Just so thankful for this moment because I feel like something really important is happening in this moment as you, Ryan, just speak on behalf of the men in the room. And maybe it doesn't resonate with every one of you, but I'm sure it did resonate with a number of you. Like, yeah, that's how I feel. I feel like nobody ever showed me what it looks like to be a real man, and I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think that as you just show your candor about that, that gives permission for men to do the same. And and then women in the room, I think we need to be really careful as that thought comes out into the room that, uh, you know, yeah, there's some vulnerability. I don't totally know what it means to be a man. You know, and wives, we certainly could turn to our husbands and be like, see, they're talking about you. They are. You're like one of those men who never figured it out. You're still a boy inside those jeans. You know, we could get real, we could get kind of, you know, uh, judgmental. And so I would say, first of all, we could do a whole series on women. Come on, and how we need to grow up, Right. Uh, today, we're just, we just happen to be talking about men. That's what we're talking about today. So we don't want to get judgmental, but we also do want to name the problem. You know, that, that group I told you about earlier that we started, the Raising Boys group, one of the primary motivations for me as I thought about starting a group like that is that I had just had one too many conversations, not only with wives whose husbands were still boys, but one too many conversations with my single female friends. Come on, single women. You don't have to raise your hands, but I'm going to speak on your behalf here for just a moment because I have lots of friends who are still single, and over and over again I hear the same story. They say, you know, I, I'm looking for a man I'm looking, I'm looking hard for a man. I would love to find a man who, who is strong and stable and confident in who he is and who he's not and, and who loves God and, and who's dealt with his anger issues and all these things. I would love to find that man. And I get online and I see these profiles of amazing men and then I go out on these dates with these, with these guys and I sit across the table from them and they look like a man. You know, they're wearing a suit maybe. They've got the beard, the scruffy beard. They look like a man. But when we start having a conversation and actually getting beneath the surface and maybe having some conflict, oh boy, there's not a man in there. There's still a little boy walking around in that body. And that's a problem. Not, not to condemn, but to say, how can we be part of the solution? You know, in fact, that, that group that we started, you know, the, the tagline is, we are a community of families working together to raise godly men. I'd love to put a comma right there and say it this way. We're a community of families working together to grow godly men that any woman in the world would kill to marry. Come on, somebody. You know, can we just have like women fighting over the men that come out of this group, fighting over them because they're not boys. They know what it is to be a man. And so we have to ask that question together. What does it mean to be a man? What does a boy need in order to become a man? And of course, there is so much that we could talk about. There are so many books written on, the, on this subject. But we thought instead of bringing new material out into the open, that instead we would just, we would use the material that's been fantastic right out of this series, the last three weeks of this series. And instead of applying it to our lives, apply it to the lives of these boys that we have in mind. 
So we're going to go back through the series and pull out a word uh, from each of those stories about David, that this is something a boy needs. So we go back to the first week of the series. This was the beginning of June. If you were here, you know that we talked about the story of David and the giant Goliath. And the word that we want to pull out from that weekend is the word courage. You can write it down if you want to. The things that a boy needs, the first thing a boy needs to go from boyhood to manhood is the word courage. You know, we, we know that story of David and Goliath. It's, it's the story of a shepherd boy who says nobody is willing to fight this giant that's in front of the, the Philistines. No one's willing to fight him from the whole Israel army. Well, I'll do it. And he steps up and they say, here's your armor. He says, I don't need any armor. I just need my slingshot. And he picks up his slingshot and a smooth stone and he shoots it and he knocks that giant down that nobody else would face. It's really an amazing story of courage in a young man. Some important things to notice, though, about this story. Something I had never noticed before. I've heard this story dozens of times, and I had never noticed until just recently that David was the youngest of eight boys. Did you know this? And there's something at play there. We have three boys. I'll tell you, the one at the bottom of the pile is tough as nails. He's afraid of nothing. He could fight any giant because he spends all day fighting his bigger brothers, right? (laughs) So that's going on with David. That might be the source of his courage. And certainly courage comes more easily to some kids than to others. There's a reality to that. But there's also something really important to notice in this story, and that is the source of David's courage. We're going to look at just a couple of verses here. This is the moment where David walks out onto the field with his slingshot to meet that giant, the Philistine. All right? It says, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Today, the Lord will conquer you. Do you see in that verse the source of David's courage? The source of David's courage was not in his slingshot and his stone. The source of David's courage was in his deep down knowledge that God was with him. That God was with him, that God was for him, and that he would not face that giant alone. Do our kids have that kind of courage? Do our kids know that God is with them? Because our kids are facing some serious giants. They are facing some serious giants. Let's just think about a few of them. The first day of kindergarten. Terrifying. Terrifying for that little five-year-old. How about the first day of middle school? Now that's terrifying. That's a giant. And our kids, you know, they're in school, they're having to take these standardized, standardized tests, the MCAs, you know? I mean, I can feel like the weight of it on my child, what a, what a giant that is to have to try to do well on that test. And then later on, they have to take the ACT test. They have to sit down at a desk and fill in bubbles that are just going to possibly set the course of their lives. That feels like kind of a giant. And then there are giants, you know, there are children who are dealing maybe with chronic disease, We have children who are dealing with the giant of cancer coming into their family. We have uh, the giants out there. You know, when I I was growing up, the big giant out there, out in Washington State where we grew up, was the earthquake that's coming. It's coming to Seattle, and it hasn't gotten there yet, so it's still coming. So we would have to do these drills where we'd hide underneath our desks for the day when the earthquake came. You know, here we we do that same sort of a drill with, with tornadoes. And then there's a drill that you may or may not know about parents and adults that our kids have to do quite frequently. I had no idea that they were doing this drill until I came into my son's classroom a couple of years ago to volunteer to help with some reading. And so I'm helping some students read when this announcement came over the loudspeaker. Uh, Teachers and students, this is our intruder drill. Please follow the, the procedures. 
And I, I kind of like, what? The what drill? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do right now. Well, the kids all knew exactly what they were supposed to do. They all got up out of their seats, totally quiet. They got up out of their seats. Each of them had a job. One of them had to turn the lights off. The other one had to close the blinds. The other one had to lock the door. And then all of the kids had to follow the teacher and go hide behind the teacher's desk in this little huddle, this little huddle practicing silently for the day when an intruder. And, you know, in that moment, I was just thinking, where are all the other moms? I mean, this is horrible that my little third grader has to be thinking about this right now. And I was so thankful that I got to just be there hugging him. I got to be there hugging him, and he's looking up at me like, this is terrifying. I'm thinking, yes, this is terrifying. And, and, and I'm hugging him, and I'm, and I'm thinking, I wish every kid could have their parent right now. But parents, reality is, most of the time, we don't get to be there when our kids are facing their giant. We don't get to be there. So we have to teach them over and over and over again who is with them every time they face the giant. God is with them. He is for them. And they will never have to face a giant alone. God is with them. The the first night in their dorm room, and it's their first night away from home, I'm really growing up. God is with them uh, at their first job interview. That's a giant. God is with them. God is with them and will give them courage the first time after he gets married and he finds out, oh, Marriage is a heck of a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. I kind of want to run. I kind of want to bolt. This is hard. I kind of want to quit. No, no. I've got courage. God is with me. There is no giant that I cannot face. How about the giant of your first newborn? How about that giant when you haven't slept for three nights, but you still have to get up and go to work? It's quite a giant, and you kind of want to run. But instead, I'm a man who has courage in my soul. In order for a boy to become a man, he has to have the gift of courage. And for some kids, some boys, courage comes rather easily. For others, it doesn't come so easily. And they may be so tempted to quit. They may say, no, I'm afraid. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that either. I don't want to do that either because I'm too afraid. And it looks like they're lazy. It looks like they're passive. But what that is is that they're looking out at the sea full of giants and they're saying, I don't have it in me. I don't have it in me to fight all these, and so I'm just going to stay on the sidelines. And we don't want to raise boys who are on the sidelines. We want to raise boys who are full of courage. The first thing a boy needs to move from boyhood to manhood is the gift of courage. Definitely. And that was one that didn't come easily for me either. I was a fearful kid. In fact, I had fears that psychologists had never even heard of before, seriously. And, uh, and so it was a process for me. Uh, but along the way, people encouraged me that word encourage, uh, sometimes we think it's just this fluffy affirmation, feel-good word. No, it's in courage, putting courage in other people. That's what we're talking about. How do we instill courage in boys so that they be, can become men? In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, you can look it up later, David says to Solomon, his son, he says, take courage and be a man. Take courage and be a man. And that's what David's trying to do for Solomon there is put courage into his son Solomon. So, so boys need courage to become men. The first week of the, the series, we, we heard the story of David and Goliath, and, and David defeats this huge foe. The second week, David and Bathsheba, David takes a huge fall, huge fall, and he's down on the mat, and, and he's down for the count. Is he going to get up? He does. He falls up in a way. We talked about that. He demonstrates resilience, which is the second thing that boys need if they're going to become men is resilience, the ability to bounce back, to come back, because it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when for all of us. I was talking to uh, 
a guy named Joe, he's been a member here a long time, and we were having breakfast the other day, and, and he and his wife have raised two boys. They're empty nesters, and anytime I'm with parents who have raised boys who are now empty nesters, two things happen. One, I start to calculate how many years it's going to be for us, 16, and, uh, and then, and then I, I want to ask immediately, I want to ask, okay, what have you learned about raising boys? And I asked Joe this question, and he didn't give it a second thought. He said, the number one thing to help boys become men is, is to give them room to fail. Give them room to fail. Give them room to fall. Because if they don't learn how to fail in, in the safer, more loving, forgiving environments, they're not going to learn how to get up when it gets harder, when it's less forgiving, when people aren't quite as loving and understanding because they will fall out there too. If they, if they don't learn how to fail, they will fail how to learn how to get back up. And it's really important. We've all heard of the term helicopter parents, right? Helicopter parents have been a popular buzz, buzz uh, term for a while now. Uh, here's an example of, of more modern day kind of helicopter parent texting, how's your exam? Do you remember to pay your rent? Kind of taking care of every little thing. Now, let's be honest, those of us who are parents, we've all been helicopter parents at times, okay? It just happens. And I also want to say there's nothing wrong with being a present, supportive parent. That's good. Mm-hmm. But we have to give our our young people, and specifically boys we're talking about today, room to fall so that they can learn how to get back up. If we're always there to rescue them, to, to you know, keep them from falling, they'll never learn how to grow up and become men. Now, a caveat here, really important, we've got to give them room to fall, but we don't let them drown, okay? Um, and you've got to be careful when you're a preacher's kid because you're always in danger of being an object lesson or an illustration, and it's not always safe. So I was out in our front yard. We have one of those kiddie pools, and our two-year-old fell down in the water. I'm standing right there, and his head's underwater, and he's not able to get up. And I'm thinking about this point of this sermon. Do I let him learn how to... I picked him up, okay? So he's okay, but the point is, all right, you don't let him drown, but you give him room to fall. Uh, But there's a limit to that, right? Obviously, I know that. But, but we see this in David's story. I mean, God doesn't rescue David from every mistake and every fall. David, David makes some mistakes, but God is there to help him learn how to get back up, how to, how to fall up, so to speak. And David learns some really important lessons along the way. He learns how to get back up. He learns how to receive rebuke, receive feedback. That's, that's what men do. He, he learns how to, to own his mistakes, to own his sin. That's what men do. He learns, he learns how to accept the consequences that come from his mistakes. That's what men do. See, if he doesn't have the, the opportunity to, to, to fall and learn how to get back up, he, he would have stayed stuck in this cycle of, of boyhood. Instead of, instead of receiving rebuke and feedback, he, he would have just kept you know, being defensive and prideful, and that's what boys do. Or he, he would have, he would have st- stayed stuck in the cycle of, of not not owning his mistakes, but he would have stayed in a cycle of, of you know, blaming others. Or, or he would have stayed stuck instead of accepting the consequences or accepting responsibility, he, he would have stayed stuck in the cycle of making excuses. He would have stayed stuck as a boy, but he had the room to learn how to get back up. See, I think this idea of being stuck is what happens when we don't give boys, young people, room to, to learn how to fall and get back up. 
They don't learn resilience, and they think they're stuck. And instead of, instead of hearing fail, they hear failure. Or, and this is part of my story. Hey, I, when I left high school, I had I'd never seen a grade less than an A-, minus, and that was only one time in driver's ed, so be careful on the roads, okay? So when I went to college, and my first physics exam, I got back. This you know, is why I didn't become a physicist, but my first grade was a C-. minus. And I had, I had no clue. I had never seen anything less than A minus before. I went back to my dorm room. It's kind of embarrassing to admit now. And I cried, hoping my roommate wouldn't see me. <laughs> I, just, I had no concept for what to do with, with a, a grade that I thought was failing. Some of you would die for a C minus. I know that. But for me, that was, that was a fail. I, we're hearing about a lot of corporate suicides in the news right now. People are making mistakes in the corporate world and went two from one company. And they think they're stuck, they think they failed, they think they can't get back up. And so they give up. Hear this. With God in the equation, we are never stuck. We are never down for the count. We are never at a place where we can't get back up. But we have to learn that from our, our falls and our stubbing our toe experiences and our little missteps. We have to learn from, from God and those around us how to, how to get back up. And when we do... We, we find ourselves in a position, because it's not a matter of if, but when, of getting back up. I love this, Proverbs 24, 16. This is Solomon who wrote this. It says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get back up again. Seven implies an infinite number of falls. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get back up again and again and again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. See, with God, we can always get back up. But we have to learn that, learn that resilience. Resilience is like a muscle that needs to be exercised. But as we exercise that muscle, we can go from boys to men. Indeed. So that was the first two weeks. A boy needs courage and a boy needs resilience. And then there was last weekend when Pastor Bill was here. And he basically did a comedy routine for about the first 15 minutes. <laughs> we got to hear about his retirement. We got to hear all about his gallbladder and even see pictures of it. That was exciting. If you missed that message, please go back and watch it. It was wonderful and it was very meaningful. And what he did is he looked at the life of David. He brought out this word that I would put before us last. It's the word wisdom. The word wisdom. In order to move from being a boy to a man, a boy needs wisdom. And the wisdom that David had that, Bill, that Pastor Bill talked about. And then the wisdom that his son Solomon asks for. When God says, you can have anything you want, Solomon. Solomon knows, oh, I know what I need. I need wisdom to be a good father, to be a good husband, to be a good king. I'm going to need wisdom. I think it's important to pay attention to the life of David and ask the question, where did that wisdom come from? You know, and, and we don't know very much about his childhood. We don't know very much about his parents. But we know, we can fill in the gaps, that they certainly taught him well. They raised him up with, with godly wisdom. Because when he went to fight a giant, he knew God was with him. So he got it from his parents. He also was in a very uh, regular rhythm of going to church, in essence. Church was different back then. And it would have looked differently, going to temple and tabernacle and more of the Jewish way of going about it. But it's the same concept. You go to church. You go to church because it's there that you learn the language of your soul. You learn the language of your soul and you learn how to talk to God. You know, Pastor Bill pulled out all these psalms that David wrote and he read, many, he read from many of them. And we can go back to the psalms and, and we can see the heart of David in there and we can see his capacity. You know, he was quite an amazing person because he's this warrior king, but he's also a poet. 
He's so deeply in touch with his own soul, and he's able to pour it out to God. You know, he's able, when when life is going well, he's able to bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. And when life is really going poorly, he's able to cry out to God. He has the words for that. He has the soul language for that. And where did he learn it? He learned it in the house of God. And so I know in many ways we're, we're preaching to the choir in terms of saying, your kids have got to be in church. Your boys have got to be in church because you're here. And they're probably here. But I think sometimes, you know, at least I do, I start to wonder, is it really making a difference, this whole going to church thing for them? Because it's hard to get them out the door in the morning. It's hard just to get them dressed, to get them here on a Sunday, let alone a Wednesday night. It's so busy and there's so many other things going on. Does it matter as much as basketball and ballet? Yes. Yes. Even if we're not seeing the fruit of it right now, we must not take for granted that our children are learning the language of their soul. They're learning how to speak to God when life is good and when life is hard. They're learning the stories of David and Goliath. And in that, in that story, they see a boy who faced a giant because God was on his side. So maybe I can face my giants too. And then it's here that they get to interact with other men and women of God. You know, there may be some, some boys who are saying, I have no idea what it looks like to be a man of God. But they get to come here and have a small group leader who invests in them and says, I'm a man of God. I'm doing the best I can. And now I have an example of somebody that happens in church. We have mentors, men and women of God. And then this is where they get to hear the story of Jesus Christ. The most important story that our child will ever, ever hear. The most important man that our boy will ever, ever know about. And they get to hear about how fiercely God loves them, how unconditionally God loves them. And a boy who knows that he is fiercely and unconditionally loved can become a man who is capable of loving fiercely and unconditionally the people around him. That's the aim of growing a godly man. Hmm. So courage and resilience and wisdom... And as we, as we close out this series and, and this message, I want to bring us back to the thought that I shared earlier, and that is the best thing that we can do to help others grow is to do so ourselves, is to be that example, to be the inspiration, to be that encouragement of what growth looks like, because you know what? They're watching. They are. Whether it's our kids or our grandkids or our neighbors or who, they're watching, and they're wondering, what does it look like? What does it look like? So I put the question before you, are you growing in courage? Are you growing in resilience? Are you growing in wisdom? Are you growing up for the sake of others and for your sake? I know some of you, and I've talked to some of you after the first two services this weekend and come up and you're saying, my kids are grown. I feel like I've missed on some of this stuff. First of all here, no parents are perfect. None of us get all of this right. But hear this too, God's not done working on your kids yet. And God's not done working on you yet. So as you continue to grow and pray for your kids who may be grown now or your grandkids or whoever they are, I just know that God isn't done with them yet. Lastly, I want to speak to the guys because we have focused a little bit more on the guys. As Jen said, did you say we could do a 10-week series on women? Okay, (laughs) we probably could. Maybe we will. (laughs) But we're talking to the guys. And, And I wonder if there are some of you, this is hitting home and you're thinking, man, that's me. It's hitting home for me as I preached it all weekend that I still have some growing to do. And what I want you to hear is you're not alone. We're in this journey together. And the other thing I want you to hear is a word that I believe God has given to me through others, older men along the way who have encouraged me, who have given me encouragement. I'm trying to pass this on to my boys. In fact, we have a sign up in our upstairs outside of our bedrooms that says this very phrase. And I've I tried to pass this on to other men as well. And I want you to hear, it, hear this. You have what it takes. You have what it takes. 
You have what it takes. You have what it takes, men, to face the giants. You have what it takes to, to get back up when you, when you have fallen. You have what it takes to live with more wisdom. You have what it takes to lead the way with your, with your wife. You have what it takes to, to lead the way with your family. You have what it takes to lead the way in your workplace. You have what it takes. Why? Because the one, the perfect man, Jesus Christ, is on your side. He is with you and he's for you. And he never gives up on you. And you know, you know why else you have what it takes? Because there is a perfect father, right? And some of us may be going, I just never had that example. There is a perfect father who loves you unconditionally, who is infinitely patient with you and always ready to receive you back and say, here, let me show you what it means to, to be a man. Let me show you what it looks like to get back up. You have what it takes. Don't let anyone, including yourself, ever tell you that you do not have what it takes, man. In fact, as we were worshiping earlier, I was, I was, I was hearing this word, that, that, that there would be uh, men. I want to invite men to come forward after the service, wherever you are in this journey, all right? And can we just agree that we're all in a journey together from boys to, to men, to manhood, to come forward after the service and, and receive a prayer of encouragement wherever you are. We just love to pray for you along those lines. But wherever you are and whoever you are, whether you're a man, a woman, a, a kid, or a child, hear this. In Jesus Christ, you have what it takes to grow. And I want to pray that in as we end this series. Would you pray with me? God, we, uh, we thank you for making all of this possible, Lord. Because of what you have done, the perfect man, Jesus you, you have sacrificed on our behalf. You, had, you have accepted the consequences on our behalf. You have owned our sin. You have made it possible for us to know what it's like to, to be loved perfectly and accepted in every way. And so I pray for each and every person here, especially those boys and men in this room who are still growing into manhood. Would you empower and encourage and instill within each one of us the courage and the resilience and the wisdom that is required? And may each one of us continue to grow, that we would know that we have what it takes in you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. Would you please stand for a closing blessing? And again, we would invite you to come for prayer, maybe a blessing over your family, uh, maybe just uh, a blessing over your growth journey as we end this series. Maybe you've got a young man in mind who's not even here, but you just want to come forward and, and pray for that young man, um, intercede for him. Or maybe, like I said, if you're a man who's saying, yeah, I want to be a man after God's own heart and follow Jesus with my life, come forward so we can encourage you and pray for you. But now receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.